smashing. Give everyone the best possible start to the day. See special packs for details. Smashing. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're talking about web platform baseline. What is it and how can it help you determine your browser support policy? We talk to expert Rachel Andrew to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes brand new articles to the website throughout your working week? There's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. In How to Boost Your Design Workflow with Setup, Rachel Howe asks if you're trying to keep up with everything but still constantly feeling overwhelmed with never-ending to-do lists. Spend some time now exploring efficient tools to save time in the future and speed up your workflow. Rachel suggests some ways to focus on what you do best, designing high-quality work and letting those tools handle the rest. Fiddly Friedman's latest UX guidelines looks at designing sticky menus. Are sticky headers always a good idea? Fiddly offers up some best practices for designing sticky headers along with examples, UX guidelines and usability considerations. In Solving Media Object Float Issues with CSS Block Formatting Contexts, Gabrielle Shiyombo covers common problems using CSS floats and how to solve them using a block formatting context. By understanding the disadvantages of using BFCs and how to minimise them, you can ensure that your content is displayed correctly. Whether a beginner or an experienced web developer, you'll gain valuable insights and practical solutions for dealing with CSS float issues. Ben Clemens writes that design patterns are a better way to collaborate on your design system. Every company and team has to have a deep collaboration between engineering and design to get the value out of a design system and not go nuts. Ben suggests building design patterns first is a better way to work. It unblocks people to work in parallel, keeps people synced up, and results in reusable modules that speed up your next project. Oh yeah! And in How to Deal with Big Tooling Upgrades in Large Organisations, Joran Quinton posits that the process of upgrading large third-party packages in equally large organisations is rarely, if ever, as easy as running an NPM update and calling it a day. In this article, Joran shares valuable lessons from his team's experiences in upgrading third-party code that affects code bases across the entire organisation. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com slash articles. She's a web developer and technical writer and editor. She's currently working for Google on the Chrome team, where she's a staff technical writer and content lead for web.dev and developer.chrome.com. Prior to Google, she spent 20 years as a freelancer and business owner, and she's written almost countless books and articles where she excels at taking complex technical subjects and making them more readily understandable. She's also an experienced conference speaker, able to deliver a technical talk to teach an audience about CSS layout or a keynote to inspire them, drawing from her wealth of experience developing for the web. So we know she's an experienced technical writer, teacher and developer. But did you know she once taught a Canada goose to make a bourbon cocktail? My smashing friends, please welcome back Rachel Andrew. Hi, Rachel. How are you? 
I'm smashing. Yeah, welcome back to the podcast. It's It's been a couple of years and uh, there's been a change of, of day-to-day role for you. Yes, yes. I guess last time I was here, I was, it was mid-pandemic and I was uh, still editor-in-chief of Smashing Magazine. Um, and, and yes, these days I'm over at Google um, on the DevRel team. Uh, with uh, with my content team, sort of helping to get sort of good docs and information out to web developers about things on the web platform. So still in the in the realms of uh, helping people learn about the web platform uh, and uh, assisting their busy lives, trying to keep keep a pace of uh, all the new technologies and developments. Yes, yeah, it's kind of a perfect role for someone who spent most of their life sort of explaining things to, to, to web developers. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's great. And, uh, uh, sort of within a, a really great team of, of people who are sort of, you know, very dedicated to kind of, you know, talking about all this, all this new stuff. So speaking of, of new developments and, and, uh, and also Google last week was, uh, Google IO 2023, mm-hmm. which is always uh, an exciting time for us, us tech nerds, because there are all sorts of announcements and updates from Google. And, with Google being such a large contributor to the web platform, um, it then becomes an exciting time f- uh, to see what's been worked on for the web in particular um, and, and see what might be coming out uh, next. I feel like we're in a place with the web platform where it's continuing to develop at a fantastic pace at the moment. Um, yeah. Those of us who've been working in the industry for a while remember the years when nothing was added in terms of browser capabilities. I mean, for sometimes like years, uh, years at a time. Uh, you were working on the web back then. Was it uh, frustrating that things weren't getting added, or did it just make it easier to keep up? I, mean, I think it was frustrating. I, you know, when we had we had five years between IE six and IE seven, uh, so it was kind of five years that the web platform just basically stopped. Because so many people were using IE6, you couldn't, you know, although there were new other browsers around, you, you couldn't really, you know, use all the new stuff that they were they were putting into the browser because the majority of people coming to your website were in a browser that didn't support it. Um, so I think, you know, it was very frustrating because, you know, that's a very, very long time, especially when, you know, IE6, you know, had all, all sorts of of bugs and issues as well so that we weren't getting fixes to things it wasn't even new features it was we were dealing with you know problems like bits of your content disappearing for no apparent reason and you know um so yeah you know it was it was frustrating but it was very stable buggy but these the bugs you know that we could list them there were you know websites that like listed all of the ie6 css problems so you'd hit one and you'd be like oh yeah that's that i know how to fix that um, so we all became pretty expert in in dealing with with browser books, basically, and, and knowing what they were. I remember things like uh, Peekaboo was a Peekaboo bug. Was that that yes. era? And uh, what was the website that that listed them? Uh, listed them all. I can't remember its name now. But the the list of known uh, bugs mm. just got longer and longer <laughs> and longer over time, to the point where it became difficult to find the one you were <laughs> the particular bug you were experiencing because the list was was so long. Um, where we were in a place back then where the the dominant browser which was internet explorer at the time was the browser that was seeing the least technical innovation um mm. but that doesn't mean there was no technical innovation because there there was a, a broader ecosystem but was it ever possible to use new bits of css that were you know, appearing in things like firefox is that something we could do when the dominant browser was so far behind 
It was pretty hard. I mean, I think, you know, sort of all the ideas of things like, you know, polyfills and and also, you know, there was a lot of us kind of pushing the progressive enhancement story as well, you know, and saying, look, it's fine. Your website doesn't need to look the same in all browsers. I think I've been saying that like for most of my life at this point, you know. <laughs> and um, and that was, a, that was a big thing at the time because people were just sort of A-B test in the browsers. You know, there was no, you know, you sent something off to your client and they would just open it in another browser and be like, oh, no, this is wrong. So it's, you know, three pixels out on this the browser you know and um that was that was very very common you know people would talk about pixel perfect and and what they would typically mean is is it should be exactly the same as the pdf or whatever that you were working from or you know the photoshop file and all of the browsers that that they were aware of you know (laughs) or at least both browsers typically um so you know i think it was quite difficult to to push the web forward um at the time you, know, you you got quite a lot of resistance and, and you'd often have to kind of just do it anyway and hope you'd get away with it <laughs> quite a lot of the time. Uh, we don't, we don't seem to see that so much these days where um, uh, clients or, or anyone really is looking at uh, a web experience side by side in two different, in two different browsers and saying, Oh, they're not quite the same, mm. not quite the same. Is that because browsers are, much more standard standardized now and they do look the same or or have the expectations changed you think because of so many devices that we're looking at the fact that mobile devices and tablets and so many different screen sizes that has that expectation gone away yeah i think it's a bit of both isn't it i think you know the web browser is how we do everything these days um and it's less of a separate bit of software it's just kind of how you use your computer a lot of the time. And I think there's less of an awareness of, oh, you know, we should be checking this. You know, For someone who isn't a developer, we should be checking this in the different browsers. Far more likely, I think, would be someone saying, this doesn't work well on my phone, you know, because they'll get the email saying, oh, look at the look at the new site. And they're probably on their phone when they get that email and they'll open it on their phone. And then, you know, they find that oh, something's overlaying something or it's hard to get to something because of a toolbar or whatever. So I think it's far more likely that, um, you know, a client is going to be coming back with that kind of problem. Yeah, maybe they've got like an older version, you know, an older phone that they've not updated and, it, and it's got an older version of software on it or whatever, um, than doing that kind of desktop A-B testing that used to be really common, even with, you know, a fairly non-technical client. They would have been told by someone that they should make sure it works in in these browsers. And so they would be doing that checking. Yeah, I mean, clients would would come along to those of us who are building sites for them, and they would say, "Right, we need this site built, and it needs to work in IE six, or it needs to work in IE seven." And they'd have these very definitive browser versions that uh, mm-hmm. things had to work in. And now, you know, between as you mentioned, between IE six and IE seven, there was a multiple year gap. Um, so that constraint from the client could have it could massively impact your sort of choice of technology or, or design, couldn't it? Hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that was just sort of fairly standard. You know, when you were building sites, and at the time, you know, I was building sites for clients. That would be, you know, on the spec for the site would be which browsers that you had to support, and you would be expected to test it in those browsers. And and if it worked in those browsers, that was all good. That was that was the line that you were following. Yeah, I guess even things, even that things were were pretty limited, it was a fairly easy decision to make to say these are the browsers that we're supporting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's got to work in IE7 for you know whatever reason. Yeah. It was fairly clear cut. Um, 
But these days, I don't think I could even tell you what version of Chrome or Firefox or Safari <laughs> I'm running, or if that's the latest. I'm presuming it's the latest, but it's not so it's not so clear cut and straightforward now, is it? Right. Yeah, you don't even notice that the things update. They just update, and you don't realise if that's a major version or you know just some say security release that's that's come out that they need to update to. Um, I don't think most people know which features landed in which version of a browser. Like we used to know, you know, we used to know exactly what was available in each browser. So it'd be like, oh, great. I, you know, this project is, is IE8 and therefore I've got, you know, I don't know, display table or, you know, something that landed in that browser. Um, we used to know. Uh, these days we don't know. Um, I you know I spend all of my time documenting this stuff and, and writing about, you know, what's new in the web platform. And even so, I'm fairly hazy if you said to me, oh, you know, what was in Chrome 113? And I've just done the work on that. I'd be like, uh, <laughs> you know, was that in that one or was that in the beta? Um, so, you know, the average developer, then you, you're not going to be able to keep track of all that stuff. There's so much stuff landing all the time. So it makes the situation quite difficult, doesn't it, when um, you you might have uh, sometimes contracts with with uh, people you're you're building stuff for, uh, and certainly expectations that there's going to be a level of of browser support, um, but it's not you know if you don't know what versions things are and they they move really quickly, um, it can be really difficult to to pin down to a a, a targeted browser version, um, and and this is kind of like I believe it's the the crux of the problem that's addressed by one of the big announcements at Google I O. Um, you know, how do we figure out what's safe to use? Hmm. Yeah, and so this is something we've been thinking about actually for as long as I've been uh, at Google. Is we've been thinking of this sort of this sort of top pain point that we we hear from developers that they struggle to keep up with the web platform, and they struggle to know what is safe to use, what is okay to roll out in production without worrying about it. Um, you know, typically developers will sort of be building for the latest versions of a site and then suddenly they'll realize that oh oh this is broken over here um and and they they just don't they didn't realize that and to actually figure out uh the browser support involves going kind of property by property feature by feature um to say can i use or mdn and looking at the the compatibility data it's all out there but you have to do that on a feature by feature basis and so we were kind of thinking about this issue and it, it always comes up. You know, we talk to a lot of developers and it always comes up as the top problem. And so we're kind of, you know, thinking about how we can resolve that. And that's what kind of came to this idea of, well, can we create this line and say that everything that's past this line has interoperability, um, is, you know, kind of safe to use without worrying about it, um, and that's where this idea of baseline came from, to have this kind of moving line that includes, you know, all of the features that are interoperable and don't have any major standout issues. Um, and, and that's that's what we, we're sort of calling baseline. Um, and, you know, the whole project is, it's, it's not just a Google thing. Uh, this comes from the WebDX community group. So we're working with, you know, other browsers um, and other people. Um, on defining this and kind of coming up with the feature groupings um, so that we can try and create this this clarity for developers that they've got, you know, a sort of line where they can say, they can look at that and say, oh, yes, this thing is in baseline. And therefore, I know it's going to work everywhere, you know, in, in the most modern browsers. 
So instead of saying this, um, we're supporting these particular browsers, is saying this is a, a, a core feature set that's common mm-hmm. across all the currently available browsers. This is a safe set of features, and it's that set that I'm going to be developing for compatibility with. Right, yeah. And and that, you know, that sort of takes that that requirement to figure out each individual feature for for and also because we get partial implementations of stuff all the time on the platform you know and it's like so the the kind of feature grouping part of this it is is the big piece of work really to actually identify does the feature completely work everywhere um because sometimes there will be support for things um i think one of the things that you know an obvious thing that people will understand um is the gap property um in where in Flexbox and Grid and so on. Um, now, you could test for that. You could test for where the gap was supported. And a browser would say yes, because it was supported in Grid Layout, even when it wasn't supported in Flex Layout. And therefore, there was no way to check for this. Um, and it was quite confusing for people if they were just, you know, just, just doing that test. So I think there's, there's these sort of groupings of things is also quite useful. Um, so the things that are in baseline are are things that do work as as a feature even if that does actually involve various moving parts. Yes, because uh, there's been a, a, a trend from um, the, the the sort of latest CSS specs to be, um, uh, what's the word, sort of unifying some of the, the properties, isn't there? Um, rather than, yes. Rather than having um, individual properties that do the same thing in different contexts, using the right. same keywords across different uses. Yeah, so things like alignment, um, um, fragmentation, you know, we've got these specifications that deal with, yeah, sort of alignment across all of the different layout specs, um, which, you know, is great because it means that, say, if you want to switch from a flex to a grid layout or whatever, the, all the alignment stuff should work in the same way, uh, but does mean that we potentially get these partial implementations. And that's that's quite difficult to understand. Um, so, so, yeah, I think it's things like that. And so there's an awful lot actually goes into the creation of this um, you know, sort of feature set grouping, uh, and we're not all the way there yet. We're hoping to get um, most of CSS and JavaScript done by the end of the year, um, because it's actually quite a job just to figure out, you know, how how things all fit together. Mm. So I'm. Um, it's almost like instead of uh, targeting a version of uh, any particular browser, we're targeting a version of of the web platform. We're saying yeah. that the web platform as it is here today, these are the things that are, are universal, that are reliable to use, and uh, that's what we're going to support. And anything that falls out of that boundary isn't isn't included because the implementation might be patchy. Right. Yeah, it, it might need a bit more care. Mm. And it's not saying to people, oh, you can't ever use these things. Um, but if you know it's not in baseline, then maybe there's some things you need to think about there. And and it might be fine for your project, or it might be that it is, you know, has a good fallback, or it's something that is polyfillable. Um, but those are things that you do need to think about on a case-by-case basis, uh, rather than just this, this should be fine to use. I think most of us are familiar with sites like um, canIuse.com, which you you mentioned briefly before. Um, Is this just replicating information that already exists or is it different from canIuse? I think it's it's different in that, so something that canIuse does and also the the MDN BCD data, you know, they work very much on a on a sort of feature by feature basis, they don't actually cover all of the web platform. Um, there's definitely, certainly can I use has made some decisions in terms of how to group 
certain things. Um, I have a long-standing open issue to split out fragmentation from multicol, for example, because they're bundled together, um, making multicol look harder to use than it actually is because there are fragmentation bugs in there. Um, so they've done you know, some of the same same stuff, but what, what we haven't got there is this sort of full view of the platform and this idea of, you know, this is within baseline, this is out. You still have to go to each thing and make those decisions. Um, you know, ideally we're hoping, I mean, as MDN are using baseline on feature pages, they're rolling that out at the moment. Uh, it's it's probably saying that we're hoping that Can I Use will also be able to use and say, oh, this feature is in baseline, as well as that more fine-grained data. And how do you make that decision to say that, yes, this not only is this supported, but this is widely supported enough that we can include it in baseline? How do you how do you make that distinction? So at the moment, we're going back the the last two major versions of browsers. And there's been a lot of debate about that. Um, as you can imagine, it's something that's great to bike shed. Um, the fact is, I think the line will always be wrong. Um, for, you know, if we say this is the line, you know, two versions back, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you should use minor versions of Safari because we've seen some massive features go in in, in mm. dot releases um, because of the way that Safari do their versioning. Because um, obviously a, a main version of Firefox and Chrome, that's every month we've got a new main version. Um, and so that's obviously up for debate. Some people are saying we should go further back. Other people are pointing out the fact that just because Chrome is updated, all of the browsers that are derivatives that use Chromium, they might not have updated. So I think the line will always be wrong. Um, I think, but what it does give is this sort of stable view onto things. And the other thing that we're planning to do as part of this is to have these kind of moments in time. So at the end of the year, we're going to say, right, this cut is where we are at that point is going to be baseline 24. And that will be a static line. That will be what's in baseline at this point in time. Um, and then, you know, in a year's time, we'll do baseline 25. And I think an interesting thing then will be the difference between those two points. Because I think a conservative web team could say, right, I am sticking with um, baseline 24, even though maybe they're well into 25. We're sticking with this. But the things between those two lines then I think become the things that you might want to make judgments on. Rather than having to look at the entire web platform and say, oh, can I use this? Can I use that? And say, well, we're going to use this, this yearly cut of baseline. And then the things that came after that that are in baseline as it moves forward, we'll take a look at and see, oh, I can polyfill that. Or this is fine as a progressive enhancement. It, it puts me in mind slightly of uh, things like... Uh the Ubuntu Linux um, distribution and their long-term support releases that they right. do. Um, <laughs> yeah. They'll say, you know, th this is this is the one that we offer long-term long-term support. It's stable, it's reliable to use, and so you might adopt that. Um, and that doesn't mean that you wouldn't necessarily install a couple of key extra. Uh, mm -hmm. more more frequently updated packages or whatever but you know that the um uh, the system that you're working with is is sort of frozen in in time uh, and supported and uh, is a known quantity going yeah. forward uh, i yeah. guess those who work in very regulated in industries who sort of frequently go under contract with with customers or suppliers whatever to say they'll provide compatibility with certain browsers as it is at the moment uh, surely this this would be a very welcome change because these are actually more concrete measures that, that support can be tied to. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and it's a stability that's that's more in line with the stability of a binding agreement than an arbitrary version number that some nerd in Silicon Valley might attach to a a build of a of a browser. Right. Um, so you can say, you know, we are our our platform is targeting um, uh, baseline twenty four, and you could keep that way for three four years maybe. Um, yeah. And then yeah. review it and uh, an update. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that sort of yeah. The idea that this is a, this is a sort of a, a stable thing, and I think that that yearly release will become, I think, quite important. I think I, I, I can see you know libraries and frameworks and so on, sort of tying themselves essentially to a to a stable um, release. You know, one of the yearly cuts, and then then moving on. And I think it would be really interesting as well, being able to see well actually how has the platform moved on between those two yearly points. We don't really have a look at that at the moment. I mean, you could work it out, but it'd be quite mm. a lot of work. It'd be nice just to be able to see that and see how things are changing. It's always, um, I always enjoy a list of, uh, of you know, uh, features that are included in <laughs> in whatever, you know, here's, here's things that you can use that you weren't, perhaps weren't aware of. And I can see how uh, a big list of, um, of baseline features might, uh, might, highlight uh different things that, that an individual developer might not be aware of that have, have, yeah. have arrived on the web platform and are ready to be used yeah i mean the awareness is a big thing i mean I, i've been doing uh, me and a colleague as well i've been doing talks you know kind of what's new on the web platform type talks and typically introducing things that are interoperable and every time there will be people saying oh i never knew you could do that well, I never knew that worked. I thought that was an experimental thing. And then, you know, realizing that it's actually a feature that's in all engines. Um, and I think that that's very, very common. So I think that's the other sort of side of this is that it also raises awareness of features that now are interoperable. Um, that people have got a, an idea that the web platform moves incredibly slowly. I think particularly, you know, people like us who've been doing this for a long time and remember those days. Uh, and so people are very surprised. You, know, you still see people saying about a new feature, oh, well, it'll be five years before I can use that. And yet, you know, you're looking at things like, you know, container queries and cascade layers, all of these things landed cross-browser very, very quickly, mm. uh, which which is great. And I think that's a story that this can help tell as well. So this this was a big announcement from from Chrome at the big Google I/O conference. But you mentioned it's not just a Google thing, is it? There mm-hmm. there are other parties um, involved. Uh, so who who is deciding what's in the the collective baseline? Who who what parties are involved in this? Right. Yeah. So I mean, obviously we we partnered very closely with Mozilla and MDN. Um, you know, in, in launching this, so that actually. During the developer keynote, we we launched this on web.dev and on MDN at the same time on a select number of pages because we, we haven't got a full feature set yet, but it was nice to actually show what it would look like rather than it being a kind of theoretical thing. Um, and and also um, MDN published a blog post about it too and, and their thinking. But yeah, the, the, the work has been done within the WebDX community group and that group has representatives from all of the browsers and you know various other people uh, including interested developers, you know, anyone can join that group and be part of those discussions. Um, so that's where we're also asking people to go and, and comment on this stuff, you know, rather than, I mean, people are very welcome to come and talk to me about it, but in terms of getting, you know, sort of information out there and discussed by the wider group, you know, raise issues on the WebGX community group site, because that's where the people are who are making the decisions. Um, and, uh, 
And, you know, at the moment, it's just fantastic to be getting the feedback into that group so that we can actually see, is this solving a problem? You know, what problems maybe we've missed, um, you know, and be able to talk about that. So it's a, it's a broader community effort, but it just so happens that the major players, Google, Mozilla, everything, are, are, are putting a lot of uh, time and effort into it and, and really backing it as a as an idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that as, as DevRa, you know, as developer relations, that's kind of what we do. You know, we, we try and bridge the gap between browser engineers and spec writers and the developer community. And so I think, you know, that's something that we can do as DevRel for the web is is to actually sort of sort of bring forward these things that we think might help and and see where we can take them. Now I've I've heard about the uh, Interop twenty twenty two and now twenty twenty three initiatives. Um, does baseline relate to Interop at all, or maybe you could talk us through that where it fits in? Hmm. Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of the same group of people certainly at, at uh, Google who are involved with those projects. So, the Interop project takes a set of features that um, it's based on web platform tests. So it takes a set of features that um, have some sort of interoperability problem. So it might be that they don't work in one or more browsers, or they have sort of bugs that are causing people problems. So we've got this set of features, and then over the year, all of the engines work to implement or fix those things um so we've kind of got a score a scoreboard where you can go and look and see how everyone's doing um so the interop project works to kind of fix known issues um either make things interoperable um or you know or fix bugs and things that look on paper like they work but have some sort of problems um and and that so that project is getting more things essentially into baseline um so so they're linked in that way um and they're kind of you know there are a, a lot of the very similar people are working together on those from the browsers so i think in terms of the relationships there and the fact that interop did bring for the first time all of the vendors together in this sort of common goal to make the platform better you know there's there's definitely a sort of a a link there in terms of this is what we care about. Um, whereas baseline's kind of from the other side. It's saying, well, okay, what what is there? What is interoperable? What can we already use? So yeah, hopefully things like interop will help to add more things to baseline um, as, as we go along. So it's basically just identifying things that could potentially go into baseline might be nearly there and then swarming on those those features to get them across the line um and uh, and get them interoperable and uh, and usable on the platform because they're seen as important or significant in some yeah way. and and i mean we know that that developers aren't going to use things in in general unless they are available across all engines so it's kind of in everyone's interest to work together to get to that point because then people use the stuff that we're building um so that, yeah Mm. It's said uh, so they they kind of work very well together, and I think it's just this sort of spirit of collaboration um, and, and trying to make things better for developers. We've talked about how uh, developers might target uh, uh, a imposter a browser version, and now we're saying would would target baseline, um, but it works the other way around, doesn't it? If if the uh, the frameworks and the tools that we're using as dependencies in our projects, they can also declare that as a as a level of support is that right yeah absolutely i think that's something that we'd love to see um you know had the a framework or whatever you could say right everything that is is used by this framework um is is baseline or is baseline 24 or what have you that's going to give a lot of clarity to developers to not then need to fish around in the framework and find out what they're doing 
to make sure, because if you've got to do a certain level of browser support in your project, you need to make sure that everything you use also has that level of browser support. Um, so that it could definitely make that a lot clearer. Um, and I think also things like, you know, publishing articles. You know, one of the things that frustrates people, um, and I know as someone who writes and edits a lot of content, is if people get halfway through an article and then they find something that is experimental or is so new or only works in Chrome or whatever, that's really frustrating because you, you think, oh, I've found the thing that helps me solve my problem. You're working through it. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> that's not coming till next year, <laughs> you know? Um, and so have been able to like put on an article, you know, everything in this article is, is in baseline. That gives you, you know, a lot of confidence to go forward. So I think there's lots of uses for this out in the community. And that's something we really hope will happen. Um, that, just to give that kind of clarity to developers. It's that last section of an article, isn't it? You're, you're reading along about some interesting technology and then it comes to the section of how you might work around it for the browsers that don't support yeah. it. You think, oh, <laughs> I thought we were exactly. onto a good thing here. <laughs> yeah, you know, because when you're searching, you know, you're searching to solve a problem, mm. you know, things come up. It's, it's very frustrating if you realise that it's, you know, a year away um, or other browsers have said we're not doing that or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of, opportunities for clarity for for people who are writing and for developers of libraries and frameworks um you know to actually just make it very obvious to developers what the status is and things like um you know wordpress themes for example mm. or you know any any of these sorts of things where you're taking somebody else's code and uh, and making it part of your project to know that uh, what level of support uh, in terms of um uh, web functionality is in that is um invaluable i get you know I guess it would make sense for um, things like tools that any any tool that gives you code to embed into your site, be that you know mm. a, a Stripe checkout or a live chat widget or any of those sorts of things. I guess it would make sense for them to declare their state of compatibility too. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just kind of a, a shorthand. It saves you having to do all of that investigating, you know, for each thing that you use. And we know that like every website these days has tons and tons of third party stuff in it <laughs> you know we're not all sitting down with notepad anymore and carefully crafting our websites so um, i think anything that makes that easier uh, and allows people to sort of show the status of things you know is, is really helpful it actually is a, a a really simple concept isn't it to say here's here's the set of features they're well supported uh, we're giving it a, we're giving it a label we're documenting it um it's actually so simple. It's really rather genius. I think. I think it's uh, some, some <laughs> yeah. amazing work that's uh, been done there by everyone involved. Yeah, I think it, it's you know it, it speaks to a, a lot of what, what I've kind of thought about over, over many years. You know, in terms of that kind of clarity, um, and you know that's that's always been my thing: is making things clear to people, making things seem straightforward. Um, rather than trying to make things complex. And, and so that that's, you know, I, I really love being able to be involved with this um, and, and sort of bring it forward. The, um, the HTML spec, uh, for example, has a, a process for an element or an attribute to be deprecated. Um, so things get removed from the spec as they become obsolete um, or, or, or they're, you know, replaced by a newer specification. Is it possible for features to drop out of baseline once they've been included? It could be possible. It's one of the things we've 
talked about a lot. I think really the devil is definitely in the detail with all this stuff. And that's one of the things is, well, what happens if something essentially gets broken? Um, you know, maybe one engine does something which causes a problem with something. There is a possibility that, yes, we'd have to remove something. Um, that's definitely something we've we've talked about. Um, I mean, hopefully browsers aren't going around breaking stable features, <laughs> but it is a it is a possibility or something might get deprecated, although we tend not to fully remove things from the web platform very often. It's more that we say, yeah, maybe don't use this. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, but there, there is a possibility that something that is in baseline could start to have a problem um, because of something that, that one of the engines does. I guess then that's uh, one area where the sort of yearly cuts, as you've described them, become um, uh, sort of quite useful in that something might have appeared in baseline 24, but then in baseline 30, it, it might be gone. Um, and there is a way of, of uh, having a, a distinction there. Yeah. Yeah. And it would, it would also highlight that stuff, I think, a lot more clearly than, than we have a way of doing at the moment. Um, because I think... You know, hard to know what things have actually been deprecated on the platform. Um, you know, because a lot of things that are deprecated are things that are only in one engine and therefore would never have been in um, baseline in the first place. Um, but yeah, it, it's possible as things move forward that, that that would happen, and it would make it clearer. And and such such is the way of the web. We do deprecate things, but as you say, they don't ever go away. Really, yeah. we, we, we <laughs> don't, just say maybe we don't, don't tend to that, remove yeah. remove things. You know, you can still use the. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you can still use HTML font tags because we don't break things once once they're standardised. Um, yeah. Even though nobody would ever recommend using them, they're still going to work in your browser because sites have been developed to that standard and the browser will yeah. continue to support it. Uh, I guess in a way there's uh, baseline forms a little bit of a, a positive pressure. Um, if a feature does get broken, um, then the fact that it's it, it was in baseline and the whole community is relying on it being there is a, a factor in prioritising what gets worked on by that um, by that particular maintainer of, of that browser engine, uh, mm -hmm. they're going to see that, you know, this is important. We need to fix it pretty quick. Um, yeah. So hopefully it's a, a sort of positive, uh, positive pressure uh, in that regard. There, there seems to be so much really in development and, and, and coming to the web platform. Are there any particular things that you're really looking forward to seeing becoming interoperable in the, in the coming months? Yeah, I think that, I mean there's there's a bunch of interesting stuff. I've I've always been interested in the things that look at things that developers are already doing. So, you know, they're using JavaScript to do it or what have you, and then having them built into the platform. Um, because obviously things that are built into the platform, we can build in things like accessibility, um, and also performance. You know, things that tend to perform an awful lot better if they're a built-in feature as opposed to to being JavaScript on top. So there's a, there's sort of interesting stuff um, from the OpenUI group. Um, the sort of the next thing that is is sort of about to land in in Chrome um, is is the popover API, and of course popovers are something that like everybody's building all mm, the time. Yeah. Um, and I think you know a lot of these OpenUI things are are very much those sorts of features that pretty much every developer, every front end developer is, is has built on numerous occasions and every front-end developer has tried to solve the accessibility issues um, and the performance issues and, you know, the sort of weird bugs that come up when they interact with other things. And mm. so the fact that these are getting actually built into browsers, I think, is very exciting. 
um, because it just, you know, it's a bunch of work you don't have to do. And it's, you know, it's probably going to have better accessibility and so on than most people are going to be able to manage for themselves. And, and they give something to build on top of as well. You know, you can add things to them. Um, so, yeah, so I'm excited to see Popover and kind of in a similar sort of vein um, is the work on scroll driven animations, because that's a thing that people like to do and is very hard to do well, uh, you know, having things that animate on scroll. Um, and that, again, is something that is is coming in. Um, it should be in Chrome 115. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's sort of, again, it's these things that we're doing on, on the front end of the web um, and we're actually able then to build into the browser. I, I'm always very keen to see those because I think they, they solve a lot of problems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a- anywhere where a developer has to mimic something that you th- you think is uh, like native <laughs> native browser UI and you're trying to build it yourself, it's there are so many places to go wrong, aren't there? There's, yeah. If you've ever had uh, any of your work through an accessibility audit, you know that it's things like you know modal dialogues uh, and all these sorts of things that constantly will um, will contain flaws that need to be addressed because there's just so many things to think about in terms of you know keyboard focus um, and uh, you know clicking away and all these all these different subtleties that you need to make sure that you um, that you take care of that is as, as much as anything as much as it being um, bad for accessibility if you get it wrong it's a massive waste of time for all us <laughs> developers you know doing this all ourselves over and over again when it just makes sense you know most most apps will have some sort of modal um, or popover uh, functionality so mm you know, yeah, it makes complete sense for it to be part of the platform implemented by the browser vendors in a way where it's accessible and is just a good solid layer to then build on top of in terms of styling. And um, yeah, it, it yeah. makes total sense. It's an exciting way to see the platform go. Yeah, and I think because the other thing with everyone building their own thing is that a lot of people don't build their own thing, but they rely on a third-party thing. And quite often the things people are relying on are actually really old and they haven't been updated to, you know, they might have issues with accessibility or whatever, and they haven't really been updated for more modern browsers. And so it's sort of, you know, I think the more that people can use what's built into the browser, um, the sort of better experience that the end user of the site is is likely to have. Mm. So uh, your team at Google maintains a bunch of resources to help uh, developers keep up to date with the web platform. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those resources and, and where should people go to, to, you know, to look and find things? What would they expect to find there? Yeah, so we've got web.dev and developer.chrome.com are our two sites that DevRel own. Um, it used to be back in the day when, when I sort of arrived, there was a real mixture of things on each site. And a, a sort of thing that was commonly said um, was that, you know, Chrome were using web.dev to pretend things that were only in Chrome were stable APIs. Um, I say, I don't think anyone ever intended to pretend that. I think there was just a slightly disorganized content strategy. Um, so as kind of part of the preparation for, for baseline, because I wanted to make sure that we could be clear, because if we're talking about developer clarity, it's pretty bad if all of our stuff's in a mess. Um, I, I started moving content. Um, and so... Now, certainly all the newer content, there may be some older stuff that that we haven't tracked down, but the newer content, if you go to web.dev, you should really be seeing stuff about um, stable APIs, so things that are are interoperable, um, 
and also things you know things that are coming onto the platform i do a sort of a what's new on the web platform that includes some new stuff from all engines but so that kind of uh, you know looking at what the broader landscape is um, and also things like our best practices so things like about performance which while some of the tooling is chrome only raising the performance of your site is going to help in in all engines so that's what's there on web.dev so that's kind of the practical side mm. of things you're building a website you want some advice that's what we're doing there and you know I, I try very hard to make that about the web not about chrome mm. um and that, that's the sort of content there uh, but obviously you know we are a team that's supporting chrome and supporting the things that chrome's releasing and so we do that over on developer.chrome.com so that's going to be you know your new apis you want to find out about you know popover that's landing um, there'll be an article about that soon um you know so all the things that chrome is doing for the web essentially you can find on developer.chrome.com. So that will be experimental things or Chrome-only things, things that are Chrome-only for now. Um, that All that stuff is is there. And I hope that brings a bit of clarity to our content and that we're not trying to pretend anything. Um, we're just trying to, you know, we're trying to be clear about what we're doing um, and, and how well supported it is. Great. So we've been learning all about uh, Web Platform Baseline. What have you been learning about lately, Rachel? Um. There's always something interesting to learn about. Um, I've been doing a couple of things. I've been learning Python because it's a language that I, for whatever reason, never never learned. I've learned various uh, languages over the years. But I do less web development these days and more kind of like comparing of data sets. And, um, so, and Python is is the language that a lot of that stuff is done in. So it was it's sort of, um, it's quite fun to learn a new language anyway. And uh, it, it's useful for the sort of stuff I tend to find myself doing these days. Um, and I've also been thinking a bit about, you know, the whole generative AI, AI space. Um, and in particular, as a, as a content lead, you know, how do we prepare our content to make it more useful um, to those kind of models? Um, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff about sort of like, you know, um, asking questions of a, of a chatbot and so on. And so I've been kind of just starting to read around that subject a little bit and, and start to see, well, you know, if we're preparing content, how can we be making that more useful for that kind of thing and that interaction? Hmm. If you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Rachel, you can find her on the web at rachelandrew.co.uk, where you'll find links to her socials, her writing and, and numerous other projects. And you can find her writing regularly about the web platform at web.dev. Thanks for joining us today, Rachel. Did you have any parting words? Um, you know, let us know about Baseline. You know, come and, and raise some issues, or, or just join in the chat on the WebDX community group on the GitHub um, repo. There, we'd really like to hear. You know, what you think. This is, you know, we've been talking about it internally for a long time, and so now we've got it out there. And I think the work starts now, and the discussion with the community starts now. And so we're all very, very excited to, to read the feedback and, and find out what you think. This is smashing. And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at SmashingMag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food. Mm-hmm.